Welcome to Smart in the City, the Babel podcast where we bring together top actors in the smart city arena, sparking dialogues and interactions around the stakeholders and themes most prevalent for today's citizens and tomorrow's generations. I am your host, Tamlin Shimizu, and I hope you will enjoy this episode and gain knowledge and connections to accelerate the change for a better urban life. Smart in the City is brought to you by Babel Smart Cities. We enable processes from research and strategy development to co-creation and implementation. To learn more about us, please visit the Babel platform at babel-smartcities.eu. So today we're diving into another part of our distributed series about our EU-funded project SMC Net Zero. So the project's vision is to create and strengthen local innovation ecosystems interrelations in SMC Net Zero regions through brokerage and knowledge building activities and through digital resources in order to increase capacity for planning, deploying, and scaling up decarbonization solutions. That's a bit of a mouthful, but um, uh, we'll, we'll give you a little bit more intel into that and also link more information, of course, in the show notes. Um, so last episode, you heard from some of our project partners about the project. Um, so if you didn't get the chance to listen to that episode, I definitely recommend also listening to that one. Um, now for this episode, without further ado, I want to introduce you to, to our wonderful guest for today who has a lot of knowledge about working on knowledge transfer and information about cities. Um, so uh, with us today is Maria Vasilaku. Um, she's the urban strategist and founder of Vienna Solutions, and she's also a member of the EU Horizon Missions Experts Board on Smart and Climate Neutral Cities. Um, she also served as Vienna's vice mayor, responsible for urban planning, traffic and transport, climate protection, energy and public participation from November 2010 to July 2019. So welcome, Maria. Hello, and thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, our pleasure. So um, we always like to get a little bit warmed up on the podcast um, before we, we dive into some of the deeper questions. Um and so my little teaser question for you today is if you were to go back in time to 2010 and advise yourself on one thing before you became vice mayor, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it would be that I would have put climate neutrality at the heart of all of my efforts already back then, um, which is not to be misunderstood. Climate neutrality was um, one of my, let's say, main goals, but I, I focused a lot back then on, on the details. I focused a lot on mobility. Um, I focused a lot on, transform on the transformation of public space. I focused a lot on livability. Um, and if I were to go back, I would make it, of course, um, my effort number one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think back in 2010, it wasn't quite on so much talked about that it was, you know, at the number one priority of the EU and all of these initiatives. So there was a lot going on still. But yeah, um, that's a really good point. So with that, I, I you have a really interesting background. And I want to learn a little bit more about you as a person. I'm sure the listeners are are interested to also know. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey and where what led you to where you are today? Well, I was born and grew up in Greece and um, migrated to Austria after finishing school as a student in order to study. Uh, I think already as a child, I felt that I have been privileged to have been born in Europe 
in times of peace and prosperity. And so I always felt I have to make a contribution. Um, and well, also early enough in time, I think I realized that it is the same conditions and the same system that will actually um, deprive people and, and lead to lives without life quality that will also consume resources and will deprive the environment. And that we have to think these two things together. We have to think about social justice. We have to think about life quality for everybody. And we have to think about environmental protection as things that are interconnected and interrelated. And that actually took me all the way to politics. Um, so I became first city councillor, later in time vice mayor. And I think that the last let's say, logical step was to try to make a contribution where it is needed most today. And I deeply believe that it is cities that hold the key to the future in their hands. And that if we make it right in cities, and if we manage to have the first climate neutral cities within the next years, we will open the door to a new future for mankind. Very, very powerful word. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, really interesting background as well. Um, do you think, um, so before we get into all the applications for small and medium-sized cities, um, I want to get some intel also on Vienna. Um, and I, I think I would like to know what, from your perspective, what do you think is the main challenge that Vienna is, is facing in, in terms of decarbonization? Um, like, what do you think Vienna really needs to accelerate the change? I think Vienna has gotten many things right because um, it has started very early in time and very systematically. But sure enough, the biggest challenge the city is facing right now is that it still has quite a high gas dependency. And I think that in Vienna, it is all about stepping out of natural gas, which by the way, is also used uh, to, to produce um, electricity. Um, and is also used um, as one of the main sources for the district heating system. So getting out of gas means actually um, decarbonizing more or less our entire heating system. Um, and I think that um, this is, of course, easier said than done. But um, it's good to know that the city has a strategy uh, for decarbonization by 2040. And knowing how systematic this city has been always going about things, I'm 100% sure they're going to make it. I like the vote of confidence. Um, what do you think really, though, that Vienna needs to decarbonize the, their heating system? Like what is what is the biggest um, accelerator uh, to do that? I think that in this case, it's not so much about accelerators. It is more about systemic changes. And in our case, um, we have introduced energy zoning, which means that area by area, um, it is um, clear what types, what sources of energy uh, you are allowed to use uh, for new constructions and also for renovations. 
And then, of course, you need to think about subsidies and grants that may go with this. Um, and last but not least, I think there is one small piece, let's say small, it's not really small, it's actually a huge step and a very brave step we all need to take. But that's not only the case in Vienna, I think it's the case all over Europe. And that is that we need to set a point in time after which all new constructions, literally all new buildings will have to be carbon neutral straight from the beginning. Because while we're thinking hardly and discussing how we are to retrofit and do the energy uplift for all existing buildings, we keep building new buildings each and every day that still do not correspond to the standards we want to achieve within the next years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so Vienna is not a small city. Um, and right now for this project, we're talking mostly about small and medium-sized cities. And so I was wondering if you had any examples on what you think small cities can take away with them from what Vienna is doing. Well, I would say for one thing, it's about um, long-term plans and commitment to these plans. I said before that Vienna is has started early, is an early adopter in this sense. Um, so the city has um, climate transition plans um, at, at the level of local law, because Vienna is a city and a state at the same time, so it can produce its own law. So you can really imagine it as binding legal matter and has been done, has been doing this for over 20 years now. And so sure enough, long-term plans and commitment is one thing. Um, I would say the second thing is energy zoning, which I have explained just before, um, because it is much more efficient to look into systemic change and things that may not produce results overnight. We, you know, we all tend to focus on quick wins, which is also a good thing to do. But in the end, it's all about looking into how to deeply change systems and provide the preconditions that will lead to the results that you need, you know, on the long term. So energy zoning is an excellent example. Um, a third thing I think that um, Vienna can share, third lesson that Vienna can share with the world is um, the, the, the wonderful community grants scheme that we introduced a couple of years ago, where literally anybody who has a good idea of how to transform a small space within their own street, um, most of the times it's a space occupied by two cars for parking, which they will then use to create example-given parklets, um, has helped actually implement several hundreds of these wonderful small projects and suddenly you realize that it's not only about quick wins and it's not about a small project here and a small project there, but connecting these projects to a network can transform an entire city within the process of a couple of years um, and actually do this on a very, very small budget with very simple means. Um, and it's, of course, a very good means of activating local communities. 
And last but not least, I would say what Vienna can also share with other cities is uh, creating local plans and focusing on polycentric development, which in simple words means that it's not just about municipal centers and metropolitan and regional centers. I think that literally every neighborhood needs its own center where you find things that you need for everyday life, where you find wonderful places that you can use to enjoy life outdoors or for recreation, um, and where people meet and where communities emerge um, and ties and social ties can strengthen. Would you differentiate this from the 15-minute concept or is are those quite tied or one and the same? Well, I would say that what I'm describing takes us all the way from the 15 minutes to the five-minute city. So I say 15-minute city is wonderful and is what we're all at. But actually, it's about what you find in front of your door as soon as you turn around the corner. So let's say that my ultimate vision of a city for life is a city where you just turn around the corner and you find more or less the most basic things you need for everyday life within five minutes walk. Very nice. And and thank you so much for, for all the really practical examples there. Um, I, I know also as your role um, as member of the EU Horizon Missions Experts Board, um, you see a lot of different challenges coming in from cities, I'm sure. Um, what do you see is the biggest challenge that's impacting small and medium-sized cities in particular? And how does that differ from what big cities are experiencing? Well, I would say, you know, as compared to big cities, small and medium-sized cities often lack decision powers. Um, They lack capacity in many cases. Um, And they lack the ability to attract major investment. So they are dependent to a far greater extent on other tiers, like regional tier, the national tier, uh, in order to implement and deliver projects. And I guess that's the big difference as opposed to, example, given capital cities that often dispose of far more resources to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe to elaborate on that, what do you think um, small cities can do to kind of mitigate those challenges? For example, you could take one example, like investment or? Well, for one thing, if we take investment as an example, they can work together. I mean, think about um, investment. They can create a network and attract investment because this way they build a larger market. But they can also create a network to share resources. And they can also work together to put pressure um, upon the regional or the national tier, who most of the times is supportive, uh, but in terms of, of words and not so much in terms of acting as quickly as the cities would need it. Yeah, good example. Great example. Um, so the the project SMC Net Zero is also focusing a lot on SMEs, um, so small and medium sized enterprises, as catalysts for greener cities. Um, from your perspective, what role do businesses play in all of this? 
Well, SMEs and local businesses play a key role in several respects, I would say. Uh, for one thing, it is crucial that they are supporting change in their vicinity. Um, so they can actually act together. Think of a shopping street example given and how much easier it is to work together with um, you know, local trade and local businesses um, to decarbonize an entire you know, urban center or a shopping street. They play a key role by driving change within their own companies. Um, so looking at the products, at their services, um, the way their employees uh, come to work, um, just to give you a few examples. Then they play an even more crucial role, I would say, in terms of driving uh, public opinion making. Um, because they do exchange each and every day with their customers and their clients. And especially thinking of local trade, I know out of my own experience how important it is that they're supportive. If they're not supportive, um, then you actually um, face, let's say, issues, challenges that are getting bigger and bigger as time passes. And yes, then last but not least, they may even have a pivotal role in awareness raising, in activating local communities, so they can become even active agents of change. But I think that the precondition uh, to arrive there is to have involved them in efforts straight from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, very important point. So, um, so also with this project, kind of going along with that, it, it focuses on building this satellite network, so a network of different stakeholders um, in the different regions. Um, and it's focusing on empowering key innovation actors in SMEs to support their local ecosystems, which is kind of what you were just talking about also with the businesses. So what, in your opinion, do you think is missing usually from collaboration in these local ecosystems? Well, I, I guess that what's missing is, is a structure. And let me put it in very simple words. I think that if, if you want something to happen, to really happen, then you need people who are responsible for this. Um, so you need to allocate a team for that. Um, you need space for that. Um, you need basic rules and processes. So you need to provide answers to, you know, how often and who will be meeting and what will they be discussing and where will this happen um, and what happens to the results. And that is actually a framework. And what I have found out in most cities that I have been working together with is that there is no specific framework for involving the local ecosystems. Um, so there is no standard procedures. There are no basic rules. There are no basic standards. And in many cases, there is not even a dedicated team who is responsible for doing so. So my first piece of advice is always look into your city structures, and if you don't have a framework yet, then create one, because otherwise it will happen randomly, and random action never leads 
to the expected results. Yeah, very, very good point. Thank you so much. Um, the last question I have is actually not a question. It's an open floor. Um, I like to give this to our guests in case you have anything that you're really passionate about that you think we didn't touch on today that you think that the listeners really need to know. Um, do you have anything in mind? Well, I do. I do indeed. Um, but it's not, you know, the kind of thing where I would have the answer to it. It would be more sharing, you know, the one thing that keeps me awake at night. And that is, you know, thinking of decarbonizing cities means, of course, decarbonizing residential buildings. And I think that the toughest challenge that we're all facing across Europe is how do you decarbonize buildings with small owner-occupied flats where people that own the flat live in the flat and are most probably um, facing challenges in, you know, accessing loans, to give you an example. Um, and it gets very tough to get all small owners within a building to decide together uh, that they want to retrofit the entire building. And if this sounds like something that, you know, so what? Well, think of the European South. In the European South, like example given in Greece or in Italy, we have up to 80% owner-occupied units in cities. So I think that if you ask me, solving this issue is actually the one big step uh, to take forward. And um, I am right now looking into what may be ways, um, you know, to, to move forward and accelerate, actually, uh, you know, the change that we need here. Yeah, and maybe this is also a call to action for the, for the listeners. If you've if you've heard of good examples from from your cities or from anywhere that you're working on on different ways to do this, or you have different ideas on this, please feel free to to leave us a comment. And um and uh, we'll also of course love to to crowdsource some some solutions here. I, I don't think that there's a perfect solution to this yet, but maybe if we put our brains together a little bit, we get some good ideas. Um. So you've already inspired us quite a, li a lot, Maria, but our, our segment today um, is, is one that we've chosen for you called Inspire Us. Inspire us just a little bit with a story, a quote, or anything that has inspired you recently. Do you have something in mind? Well, what inspired me recently was um, visiting an event um, um, that was actually a local ecosystem event at the city of Kalamata, which is actually um, a, a small or medium-sized city. It's a city of 150,000 people uh, who have joined the, the Climate Neutral Cities mission. And um, this event was, was at the evening where they presented their climate action plan. And I was deeply moved because um, it happened in a small theater uh, at the heart of the city with over 400 people from local communities and um, stakeholders of all sorts um, who were so many that um, they were even standing. And they stood there 
for approximately altogether two and a half to three hours. That was a very long event. Nobody left from the beginning to the end. Um, and you could actually feel the passion in the room and the hope. And how this city has gotten it right straight from the beginning because they have involved the local ecosystem from day one. They have worked together at delivering this climate action plan from day one, and it is now a shared plan. And this is something that is, is really a wow because it doesn't happen so often. You know, in many cities, you can see how, you know, climate action plans are still quite a technical issue and that they're produced more or less, not entirely bottom-up, of course not entirely bottom-up, but seldom you will find a city that has actually gotten it bottom-up that right. And yes, for me, it's been, it's been moving, it's been inspiring, and I think that it provided the answer to a quote from Machiavelli um, that says that whoever wants to go for change um, will have to expect fierce opposition from all people fearing disadvantages, but very weak, if any, support from all the people who will be benefiting from it. And once I came across it, you know, something like 20 to 30 years ago, it impressed me a lot. And I think that Kalamata proved that there's a, a way to go about it um, and get it right and make sure that you can drive significant, actually radical change and have support from all parts of community if and only if they're part of it straight from the beginning. Those, that was very inspiring, I have to say. So you you understood the assignment and you did it well. So uh, thank you so much for that. Um, now I have my final question to you. And it's a question that I, I ask every single guest. And it's to you, what is a smart city? Well, for me, a smart city is a city that provides life quality for all. So a good, free, fearless, healthy life for everybody and not just for the few that can afford everything while consuming as little resources as possible by introducing and utilizing technologies and innovation. And that means my notion of a smart city uh, is that technologies serve a purpose and that smart, as I understand it, means thinking about multiple impacts and externalities and also about co-benefits in advance and not afterwards, as we most of the times tend to do. I really like your focus on the resource aspect of it. I, I don't get, I ask that to every guest. So I hear, you know, a very broad spectrum of, of answers there. And and I don't remember so many people focusing on this, actually using less resources in their answer. So I, I like to highlight that. That's very nice. Um, and with that, I, I that's that's all we have for you today. Your your insights and your really practical knowledge and your steps is has been wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I love talking to you too. And to all of our listeners, don't forget, you can always create a free account on babel-smartcities.eu. You can find out more about smart city projects, solutions, implementations. In addition, we're providing you links so you can join the satellite network for free for SMC Net Zero and join in on all the exciting activities and developments for the project. So thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life.